0: If you weren't with us last week, that's a better way to start. If you weren't with us last week, let me bring you up to speed a little bit on where we were. Um, We celebrated our third birthday um, as Kingstown, packed room, it was lovely, and isn't it just so fitting that when we get on the Via Dolorosa, the road to the cross, it gets a little more narrow, right? Isn't that fitting? I I think it makes sense for us today. I think that does. Uh, We also begin our Lenten series, um, which is Quit Going to Church. I have challenged you, and we will be talking about this throughout all of Lent, Quit Going to Church. Dennis and I, Dennis and I co-preached last week. Dennis is the senior pastor of Aldersgate. Um, We talked about how every week it just feels like the same thing. Y'all get to that in a second. (laughs) Um, Every week it just feels like the same thing. We come and and we set up and then every pastor, no matter what church you're from, no matter where you are, you stand at the doorway and you just wait and you count and you wonder who's going to show up to church today. Who's going to show up to worship today? And we know that this is our liturgy, and I'm just frankly tired of this liturgy, but you all also have your own liturgy, and I mentioned that. You all are at home scrounging to get to church on time, trying to get over that argument that you went through the night before, or your kid who is sick, uh, or your pet that, you know, who knows what your pet did that day. And so, and and you know, I, I posted two different um, two different. Pictures on Facebook and all about this being uh, daylight savings and spring forward. And this morning, there are people commenting on those pictures, saying, "Oh, that's me. Oh, totally, that's me. That's to- that's totally me." Uh, so, and I wonder, did they see it yesterday, or are they just acting like they just saw it today? I don't know. Hmm. Uh, the reality is, though, that this whole like fretting over going to church, this whole fretting, this verbiage of going to church it feels a whole lot more like we're talking about a store or a spa than it it feels like church. As long as what church offers me is what I want church to offer me, as long as what they have, the music, the sermon, the prayers, the people, are what I want, I'll keep going to church but as soon as it doesn't tickle my fancy anymore, I will stop going to church. I get to vacillate like I do a store. As soon as the, reg- the cashier at the register treats me with a little bit um, of nastiness one day, I'm going to post my rating and I'm out, and I will not return to that store, that spa that that didn't cut my nails just right. That's kind of the way we end up treating the church, and so churches spend millions of dollars and countless strategic hours trying to figure out something cool to make you get into this place. We go to We go to conferences, conference after conference after conference, where somebody who's really good at getting people to go to church stands up and tells us, the rest of the people who aren't good at getting people to church, how we are to do our jobs. This is the grand liturgy of going to church. And I'm tired of it. I'm just kind of sick of it. And so I think, though, that my... My sickness might have something to do with the fact that I don't think Jesus talks about this at all. I mean, I've read the Bible. I can't remember one time. I've looked. I cannot find a single time where some marketing executive sat down with Jesus and shared with him what website template was going to reach the demographic of his age. I, can't, I just can't, I can't find it. In fact, it seems to me like Jesus is a, averse to drawing crowds. I mean, what happens when crowds begin to gather? It, it, gets, it gets a little uncomfortable. It was a crowd that chose Barabbas. And so, might I suggest this Lent, that we quit going to church, and instead, we follow this way of Jesus that teaches us what it looks like to be the church. And this is not, if you weren't here last week, this is not a reason to not come here on Sunday mornings, because what I clarified is this is not church. This is the people of God in worship. The church is you all, right? Right? Jesus calls you to be the church, and Jesus is much more interested in how you move and live in the world, how you relate to your neighbor, than he is about whether you go to church. With all that said, bring you up to speed a little bit about where we are from last week. We challenged you last week to quit going to church and instead be a bit foolish, be a bit dangerous, be a bit risky with your faith. We notice that to follow Jesus just always seems to involve a high level of risk. Sometimes it was just sheer foolishness. Last week, Jesus says, follow me, but I have nowhere to lay my head. Why would you want to follow a God like that? And then today, Here's your challenge. Quit going to church. Instead, be blameless. And so I wonder, this is a little bit of interaction here, what do you think of when you think of the word blameless? What comes to mind? Call it out. Innocent. Is that, yeah, innocent. Innocent. Accountability. Hmm. Yeah, involves a community. Anything else? Anybody else want to add? What do you think of when you think of the word blameless? Pure. What'd you say? Yeah. Pure. Yeah, y'all are really good. Those are good answers. Yeah, so w- did you have. deniability. S- <laughs> nice, <laughs> nice. Somebody works in DC. <laughs> <laughs> So I want to show you what I think of when I think of the word (laughs) blameless. I share those sentiments, Um, but I'll tell you what comes to mind for me. What comes to mind for me is the church lady. (laughs) Um, The church lady chastising us for doing something naughty um, that we shouldn't have been doing but And we knew we shouldn't be doing it, truly. And God is just so disappointed in you. (laughs) That's what I think of. That's what comes to mind when I hear the word blameless. I actually had a real-life church lady in my life growing up. Her name was Rejoice, and she taught the middle schools. Rejoice. Her name was Rejoice. (laughs) She did not make any of us rejoice um, when she was around. She taught the middle school Sunday school class, um, and it was her job, I swear. I swear she talked to our parents before Sunday school, but it was her job to, like, pull out of us all of our sins for the week um, I'm not sure if she reported it to our parents, but our punishments did seem to get harsher that week um, after, after Sunday school. Yeah, it was, it was, it was bizarre. Um, and so she made it her job to kind of sniff out of us our sins. And you know middle schoolers, like, we're super sinful. <laughs> um, and sin is like this new, like, uh, yeah, <laughs> thing. And so uh, she would stand up in front of us and tell us um, that Jesus sees our sin and rebukes our sin. And so I had my own church lady. She said, you better be blameless. The call to be blameless, this narration of it, this church lady narration um, that is about following the rules and never getting your hands dirty and never messing up, um, that's what kind of is stuck with the image of innocence, purity, blamelessness, as the church. That's why we have the image um, of the church lady, because that's the one that showed us we all had some church lady if we grew up in church, or we knew of some church lady, and that's why we stayed away from church, Uh, but we all know the church lady. I was at Pete's Coffee this week, and uh, as I am way too often, and me and the barista, we we knew each other, and she mentioned how if we wouldn't see each other very much um, upcoming because she got this new job, and she's going to be balancing the new job with the job at Pete's, and um, and I asked her, oh, what what's your new job? I'm so excited to hear that you have a new job. What is it? And she said, I can't share with you what I'm doing. <laughs> um, you're a pastor; like you would judge me. If I shared this with you. And I I, like, of course, the long list of things in my mind (laughs) that I thought she now did. Um, Which turns out she, like, is working at MGM. So, like, but she she got super concerned about it. And then I started to think, if only you knew me on Saturday night during the Duke game. (laughs) But... This is what has stuck with us, and it's obviously stuck with that um, barista, that we are the ones, we are the ones at church who get to be blameless, and we get to look down our noses on the rest of the world who is not. And can I say something about that? That is not actually blamelessness. That's blameful. That's the antithesis (laughs) to this call. God calls Abraham and says, walk with me and be blameless in the world. Being blameless cuts two ways. Yes, it's about sinning less, absolutely. The season of Lent is where we come face to face with our sin and our need for forgiveness. But it's also about our posture towards others so that we blame less which is hard for us it's hard for folks like us because ever since we were in our preschool sandbox we've been practicing the art of blame who stole the cookie from the cookie jar right not me could be you Ever since we were in our preschool sandbox, we have been practicing this ancient art of blame, which actually goes way back to our primordial sandbox, (laughs) to the first ancestors, and the story goes something like this. They were in the garden, and when the serpent began to blame God for holding back from us the best that God had, that was the accusation. So we take a bite, and then the other half takes a bite. And then God shows up, and what starts happening? Blame starts getting thrown all over the place. Well, the serpent made me do it. Well, Eve made me do it. And from that point on, the blame game leads to further and further and further brokenness. The children of Adam and Eve, Cain and Abel, Cain blames Abel for being his parents' favorite child. And fratricide just breaks into the creation story, and we just see it propel from there. The story seems to be that at the heart of most of our issues, most of our issues is the notion of blame. Scripture even has a word for it. And those of you who are at our Job Bible study on Wednesday will know what I'm talking about. Anybody want to guess what that word is? That word for the blamer. Scripture says that this is satanic activity. Blaming is satanic activity. Satan, the word satan, the accuser. Whenever blame starts being thrown around, Satan, satan, is not far away. And we're walking on a path that leads to brokenness. Be blameless, God says. I sit down with a couple at Panera whose marriage is on the rocks, and you know it's all his fault, you know it is, if he would only just open up every once in a while, and then everything would be fine. But you know it's actually, no, it's actually her fault, because if she wasn't so damn judgmental, maybe he'd open up every once in a while, right? And now we're starting to sound like his parents. Goodness, this is what we heard all during Christmas. Well, at least my parents loved each other enough to argue from time to time. If you ever run into me at a coffee shop and my head is just going like, like a Wimbledon match, you know I am in marital counseling. And I have only, I mean, I I still to this day can't believe that God has given me the ability to to counsel anyone. But (laughs) it's, (laughs) but let's call that not the kingdom of God, that blame game. We are, God help us, in the first 100 days of a new presidential administration, and we're watching everyone blame everyone. If only we hadn't inherited such a mess. If only the Democratic Party had a candidate that wasn't so establishment stale. If only the Republican Party had stopped this train, had done something sooner. If only the evangelicals were just a little bit more evangelical, right? if only the Democrats cared as much about freedom and order as they do about justice. And the Democrats blame the Republicans for everything that's wrong, and the Republicans blame the Democrats for everything that's wrong, and the Libertarians blame everyone for everything that's wrong. And let's just call that not the kingdom of God. You know, this blame, this blame can take shape in a little town and can take can take it over You probably have heard of this town before It's a little town called Bethlehem It's in the West Bank You go to we- you go to Bethlehem and there's a 12 foot concrete wall around the entire town It's in the West Bank so you know the Palestinians are primarily the people who live there. They didn't build this wall. The Israelis built this wall. And there's one road going in and out of Bethlehem. And behind the wall, literally people are starving for food. Everything that goes in and out of Bethlehem is perused and combed over by armed Israeli guards. I mean, it's, it's the Palestinians' fault, right? If they weren't blowing themselves up, they wouldn't have to watch over them so hard, right? Well, I mean, it's, it's Israel's fault if they weren't clamping down so hard on the Palestinians' they wouldn't be blowing themselves up. Back and forth, the blame continues in the Middle East. It's just like your kindergarten sandbox with deadly consequences. Scripture says that whenever we enter into this kind of activity, it is Satan throwing blame around at everyone else. We're walking a road that leads to death. The good news is that we are a part of the church. And we do this kinky thing called confession. Every week we The people of God get together and we do this really weird thing where we confess. We no longer point the finger. We just stop and we say, It's us. We're the broken ones. I'm broken. You're broken. We all need grace. It takes a Christian to talk like G.K. Chesterton. A London newspaper um, puts out this call for anyone to write into their newspaper answering this question, what's wrong with the world? And he wrote in. G.K. Chesterton, a Christian thinker, wrote in and he said, Dear Sirs, I am sincerely G.K. Chesterton, Now it takes somebody who is a part of a movement called church, who's got this practice of confession, to be able to do that. Jesus sends his disciples out. In today's passage, he sends his disciples out, having taught them this rhythm of confession and repentance and forgiveness, which we did today. Did you you notice what we did up front? Jesus sends out his disciples to do this, and they come back and they say, you won't believe what happened, Jesus. Reconciliation just started bursting out. We saw demonic, satanic forces being cast out of people. Things that divided people forever just sort of fell down. And Jesus says this really unusual phrase, yeah, I saw Satan all like lightning. That's what happens when people stop going to church, which is really convenient, by the way, because then you can just blame whoever caused you to not go to church, right? Why your spirituality doesn't work for you, The sermon's never quite right, the prayers are too long, the band. (laughs) (laughs) Disciples of Christ aren't just going to church. They are being the church, and one of the key ways we follow Jesus, he teaches us on the cross. When we nail him to the cross and he says, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. It is us. Christians, little Christs, are people who are following Jesus, refusing to cast blame, but simply confess that other people's brokenness is a part of our brokenness. begin to live that way when we begin to confess our own brokenness and seek repentance and forgiveness miracles start happening between republicans and democrats between ex-husbands and ex-wives between Irish and devils between us and God and us and our neighbor. Stop going to church, folks. Be blameless, and I promise you, you will see Satan fall like